With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. Always such a pleasure to talk to this next guest, Sam Parr. Uh, you've heard him on here twice before. He's, he's getting to be a listener favorite. He runs the Hustle email newsletter, which uh, kind of talks about different side hustles, gigs, entrepreneurial activity that he's observing. And that goes out to 2 million of his readers. And then he also runs another very high-end newsletter, which is I check it every single day. Uh, it's called the the trends, and you can find it at trends.co. I'm always looking to see what are the latest things that are tre- you know latest entrepreneurial products trending on Google or Kickstarter or Shopify, and then he gives up to date advice. Here's how you could start an online e-commerce uh, fashion line. Here is here's how you could. I didn't know any of this. Here's how you could basically. A start a fashion line, uh, buy, you know, find the right manufacturer, use a company, or he mentions a, a couple companies to do the storage and shipping and pricing and all this stuff. What's the best practices for marketing? How to do an online newsletter? How to do, I don't know, we went over so many business ideas during this episode, including, including, I reveal. Uh, more about a business that I'm launching that I'm very excited about and we go back and forth on this. I think, Jay, I think with Sam we probably covered maybe 15 different business models. Yep. And it's kind of exciting. Like It's almost like the whole world has turned upside down and so a lot of businesses of course were hurt and that's sad but a lot of businesses are just beginning. Like entire new industries are being created right now and the question is a lot of people have ideas and a lot of people want to execute on these ideas and people say oh execution is everything it's not really true you have to know what the best tools and practices are for executing and so when i'm talking to someone as high level as sam about entrepreneurship we're able to go back and forth really quickly about business after business after business and what the best ways to start and grow that business are. I know you're going to enjoy this. You know, send me any feedback, write reviews of the podcast, send me any feedback you have. Uh, I plan on having Sam on again and again because there's just nonstop stuff happening in the world right now.
did you want to talk about business trends today? Yes, Let's talk about business trends. What do you, what are you looking at? You know, I, I actually I have a general question first. So you guys are always tracking. So Sampar as uh, Hustle Co newsletter, your you know Hustle.co. It's, it's a great newsletter. I read it every morning. Thank and you. then you have not only Trends.co, which is a more premium service about what trends are are happening every week, but the community is fantastic. Everybody's it's cool, like, right? I'm yeah, happy it's one to of the best part of it. Yeah, it's, I would say that, and there's one other community that I'm a member of that are just great communities to be a part of and follow, and I, I super enjoy it. I'm there at least once a day. I check out trends.co every single day, even though you know the material doesn't necessarily change every day, but it changes often. Weekly. And, hmm, yeah, weekly. So and, you, get a, you get a new email each week. That's roughly 2,000 words, and then we update the site according to that. Yeah, and the newsletter, not, not to... I, I, I'm a believer in marketing and actually, cause it's great. Like there's lots of uh, links in the newsletter that I'm constantly checking out. So even if I don't check them all out in one day, I'm checking them out. Like I just, I just actually checked out something that was in on trends.co from May that I had never seen before. So I checked it out. It was the one about um, storytelling and podcasts. Solving yeah. the interactive podcast. Mystery. I wrote that. that. That's a year old. That's from a May a year ago. I wrote that. Um, it's great. That business, I think, is still going to be quite large. Those companies that I've mentioned, if they can figure out retention, I think so too. And a lot of stuff, you know, what happens if you read this material over and over again is you start to see trends among the trends. So, for instance, one thing is this re redefining what e-commerce means. So, you've talked recently about e-commerce, which is like automated commerce. So, for instance. If I have a smart refrigerator and I see that I'm down on milk, it'll automatically order more milk from the grocery store. Or if I have a, a Fitbit and it sees that I've walked 100,000 steps, maybe it'll order a new pair of socks for me. So there's a commerce. And then there's uh, another trend you've been talking about, which is live commerce, which is um, stream. You know, people do these QVC like streams, but not on TV, maybe on their Instagram feeds or Facebook feeds or YouTube feeds or TikTok feeds, and they sell product from these feeds. And I thought that was a great idea. And then you have a specific case, I think came out in the newsletter today, where I don't even know if you realize it was, um, it intersected the live commerce trend. Yeah, you talk about kind of how, uh, you know, Lululemon's acquisition of Mirror, and I and that kind of lends itself almost immediately to the live commerce trend. You know, Mirror is this sort of uh, physical workout video app, and Lululemon, of course, is a clothing store of activewear. And so you could imagine and they just sold for uh, five hundred million dollars. Yeah, and what what was that? Do you know what their revenues were? It was founded less than two years ago by a former ballerina. Yeah, no, I don't know the revenues. I know that they, I mean, they raised a, a good amount of money. It wasn't a bootstrapped operation. I, I don't know their revenues. Oh, it says here, it says here, currently has a 22 revenue run rate of 100 million. So five oh. times revenues is is a lot. Yeah, I would actually say million. that it, it is in fact a lot, but it's not a lot when you go from zero to 100 million in sales in three years. Right, um, that's true. And so, uh, I mean, I think that it's not not a lot, but I would say it's it's a fair value. Um, another example of this done but not done well is Under Armour buying My Fitness Pal. Uh, why wasn't it done well? I mean, they didn't really integrate it well. It's just kind of its own thing still. Um, you know, acquisitions are hard. Like, I think most, you know, it's very. Here's a very common story: X Y Z company, you know, Facebook, Google, whatever, buys this other company for three hundred million. And then two years later, 
they just shut it down and, and write down the entire amount. Like that's kind of the 90% of stories of high-tech acquisitions. But every now and then, an acquisition's worth it. Yeah, I think that like the rule of thumb is an acquisition is either incredibly overpriced or incredibly underpriced. It either works super well or doesn't work at all. Yeah, and sometimes it works because it removes some player from the market and you want them out of there. You don't necessarily want to use them, but you want them out of the market. So that's another, that's a, it's a more rare, but positive experience that seems negative. Yeah. And so, uh, mirror is interesting to me. I, uh, it, it, it shocked me. I'm happy for them. Um, another thing that I'm looking at right now, James, it, we actually wrote about this a year ago and I'm now getting into it. Do you know what this is? Uh, it looks like beer Heineken. It's not, it's 0% alcohol beer. Ah, Gen Z is not drinking alcohol at nearly as much as their peers or their... Um, why is that? Uh, I don't know. I don't know well, why. Well, they're not smoking like, as much either. They're not doing as many drugs. They're not drinking alcohol. It, I, I don't know. It could be like a health thing because people care about their health. I, I don't know exactly, but they're not. And I've been drinking these things all day. So what I'm drinking is a Heineken 0.0. That's like the name of it, but it's basically a 100% alcohol-free beer i drink like five i drink them like Lacroix. it has 60 calories in it um i probably drink 300 calories of it a day and it is so awesome i love these and heineken like the has taste said, is good mm-hmm. i mean i like i don't drink any alcohol i've been alcohol free for about seven years and um i drink this instead because i like the taste it's refreshing drinking out of a green bottle is good uh, or i enjoy it and heineken has said that this is their fastest growing category that's so interesting. So, okay, let's say you're listening to this and you hear that. What's, what, what could be a possible, uh, and you know, by the way, just to take one quick step back, I find that during this lockdown, I've become more interested in entrepreneurship than pretty much ever before. Like I'm just fascinated now that there's actually more opportunities than ever because the entire world's changing so much. The, the, and there's still money in the world that change creates opportunities. Like there's all these new industries that simply didn't even exist before. Like I didn't know Gen Z suddenly had this huge demand for non-alcoholic beverages. It's like an industry that existed, but was small. But now you're telling me it's generationally big. So like- I think it is. Uh, so, uh, yeah. so someone hears that and then what do they do? Well, you could imagine creating a non-alcoholic brand that's a little bit, you know, not related to the old fashioned brands like Heineken and, you know, contacting a bunch of like 50 TikTok influencers and all having them, you know, have, you know, let's say you have some kind of like pink K-pop, you know, alcohol free brand and then have a bunch of TikTok influencers sell it and boom, you're in business. Yeah. So there's a few people acting on this trend that I like. The first is it's called house. I think you pronounce it. It's H-A-U-S drink dot house. It's like one of those words that I read all the time, but I never say it out loud. H-A- right, it's like this, what is that, like a house refers to like this German art, architectural, music, movement, right? Is There's, that what it is? Yeah, I didn't I even know I think so, I'm meant. just guessing, but that sounds, it rings a bell. So it's a membership, and I think they do this because you can't ship wine state to state unless it's a membership. And so House's premise is that it is a low alcohol wine. I believe... Normal wine is twenty to eight or eighteen or twenty ish percent alcohol. I think this is like a eight or nine or less. 
Um, and they uh, they raised a very small amount of funding to get started, and uh, they're selling like hotcakes. I've got friends that are investors, and they tell me that they're just crushing it. And then athleticbrewing.com, and they're kind of going the craft brew route, but for non-alcoholic beers. And I think this is kind of interesting. If I was starting, I would probably be try to want to become like the Michelob Ultra of non-alcoholic beer because I think that fitness people, like people who do cycling, long-distance running, uh, outdoorsy types, I think that this that would fit their interests. Um, but like classically, starting a new drink is very difficult, right? So the challenge well, would be, you, yeah, you know, chem, the the chemistry of it, then the packaging of it, uh, then the various regulatory approvals. And then distribution. So, and then handling distribution. Well, but hold on, dude. You got to think. Remember this. The reason why starting an alcohol brand is hard is because of the distribution. Because there's laws, like, right? Right. Like you can't sell it online, or you can't, or you, and you get taxed at a certain rate. And also, uh, the the beer company cannot work directly with the convenience stores. They have to, ha- by law, have to have a distributor, but not if it's non-alcoholic. Uh, but but okay, like. I used to be invested, for instance, it was a long time ago in some kind of protein drink. Uh, it just simply went out of business. Every step of the way, there are so many, every pain point is an opportunity to go out of business as opposed to for many industries, a pain point, you could suffer through and figure it out. This, if you fail at a pain point, you're, you're dead. So uh, uh, what makes these businesses, like how did, how did this house thing or the athletic brewing company, how did they just like boom? Yeah, so you're right. Um, it is incredibly challenging. Starting a, a, a consumer brand like that, it is quite hard. Um, that's for sure. So I think that the way that a lot of these companies like Howes are getting great is they're started by fantastic performance marketers who can acquire customers from Facebook for cheap. How do they do that? Uh, well, I mean, the, a lot of people in this space are quite talented at this. My friend, Moyes, my good friend, he started his company in the same office as mine, and it was a deodorant company called Native Deodorant, which he sold for $100 million in cash to Procter & Gamble two years after starting it. And when he sold it, he was at $36 million in sales. And I have his finance, I mean, I have his sheet that he used to uh, do ad buying, and it's just a combination of getting really clickable imagery for Facebook, targeting the right people and getting a CPA that's below your contribution margin and then getting a high repeat purchase rate each month. And so it's just, it all is a math equation. And so the equation is value equals basket size. Let's see, it would be value equals basket size times, I mean, it's not literally this, but the factors are value um, contribution margin. So the profit from your um, product, not your admin cost, but your like um, hard cost minus you know the sale. Yeah, and the then, cost of making the product minus yes, the yeah. sale. Yeah, I call it contribution margin. I think that's the term. Um, and then multiplied by the basket size, so how many items they buy, or uh, like if they have add-ons or upsells. Uh, multiplied by the frequency, uh, the the purchase rate. So do they buy? Um, at once a month, or do they buy once a year? Like with a mattress, you buy once every five years. And then you multiply it by your total addressable market, your TAM. And so that's how you find value. And so it's your job to like look at those levers and see like, all right, where 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 is this interesting? Then you got to factor in though the marketing costs. Like, so let's say you're doing everything on Facebook ads and or podcast ads, Instagram ads. 
you know, that it seems to me that's the hard part. If you're going direct to consumer, what's the best tips for like optimizing where you advertise and how you advertise? Yeah, so I think what a lot of people do, and this is what Moyes did, and this is what a lot of my friends who have 50 million plus businesses like this is they drive traffic, and I've done this as well. You drive traffic to your landing pages before it even exists and see how cheap you can acquire a customer. And if you acquire a customer for $10, you can say to yourself, I bet you I could decrease this by 30 or 50% with some work. Therefore, this is or is not interesting. And the math works a lot better than you think. And I'll give you an example. I have the financials pulled up right now. Um, did you know, James, that you can go to companies? It's called Companies House, uh, Company House, or Companies House. It's uh, the UK, Australia, a, a lot of places in Europe. Private companies that have north of twenty million dollars in revenue. You know that? Did you know that they have to um, disclose all their financials, just like a public company? Yeah, a private company with more than twenty million in revenues in the UK has to disclose all their financials. I had no idea. Yeah. So any company that that's, is based, that's stupid. It's stupid. Any company that is in the UK has to file an annual report exactly like a public company does. And so that's I'm insane. looking at a I have it pulled up right now. I'm looking at a company that it was formed in 2012 and, and they're bootstrapped. In 2019 it did 176 million dollars in revenue. Their cost of sales, which I would assume means their, that, that's what the product costs. Yeah, would be, it was fifty-eight million. So their gross profit was one hundred and seventeen million dollars. Their distribution costs and admin expenses was roughly a uh, hundred million, and their operating profit was close to twenty million dollars. And they grew to one hundred seventy million top line in nineteen, up from a hundred million in two thousand eighteen. Hmm. And do you want to know what company this is? Have you? Let me know if you heard of this it's called Jim Shark. You know what Jim Shark is? No. Okay, so what they do is they were started by a 22-year-old in England, and he oh basically me. created uh, leggings for women and basic tank tops for ripped guys, and he just sponsored like basically hot and ripped models on Instagram. And you can go back and you can see how much he spent to acquire all these customers. It's quite amazing. And uh, so, so yeah, so how much did he, like how much did it, it cost him to go to let's say an Instagram model with two million followers? and say, hey, wear my clothes all the time and talk about them? Well, uh, you can go backwards and do the math, but I know that uh, I wonder if the, I would have to think, I would have to read, it's a 50-page document. I'd have to read it and see where marketing, like which line item marketing goes into. But I know that a company that is nearly doubling in size is uh, has free cash flow of uh, 20%, uh, of about 12, 13%. So, and that's pretty interesting. That's super yeah. interesting. So like, like, okay, so let's... Oh, and by the way, this company, they have to reveal their balance sheet. So they have close to $50 million in cash. That's incredible. So, so and, and when did they start? 2012, you said? Yeah, by a 23-year-old. That's, that's amazing. So, so, okay, so let's say I'm sitting, I am sitting here listening to this. Let's say I want to... And you actually have on a recent Trends Co. that a big trending business right now is start your own fashion line. So let's say I want to start my own line of pajamas. Okay, so I would imagine my first step is I go to, is it, would I go to Alibaba and say, okay, I can get 100 units of generic pajamas, linen pajamas with my logo on it for XYZ. And that, is that what I would the first step would be? 
yeah, you could do that. And then you email the guy who's probably in China or Vietnam, and you say, um, I'm going to order 10,000 units, but I need samples. Um, how much does it cost for samples? And you do that with probably five or 10 people, and you get your samples. You decide what you like, and you tell them, all right, this is good, this is bad, make this, this, and this. Then you got to figure out how to get... There's a variety of ways to do this, but they include... You have to figure out, all right, you got to make 10,000 or something like that, whatever the minimum order is. Then you likely... They likely will be able to ship it straight to customers, but it's going to take a really long-ass time. And so you got to decide, do I want to do that? Or do I want to use something like ShipMonk, which is a 3PL service, which is basically a large warehouse? What's 3PL mean? Third-party logistics. And, and what's it called, ShipMonk? Uh, they're one of the players in the space that people really like. And so they describe themselves as a fulfillment center, but it falls in the category, I believe, of a 3PL. And so what ShipMonk does is they probably have rented out, I'll just make this up, a million square feet in Vegas at 50 cents per square foot. And they'll probably charge you 75 cents per square foot. And then they'll ship your stuff out for you. Okay, so let's say I'm buying it like uh, uh, pajamas for like $8 a unit. Maybe it'll cost me what, another three or four? And then I got to ship. I guess the cost of shipping all of them is not that big because it's, you spread it out. But then each unit might cost three or $4 to ship. And I'm charging $40 now for the, or $30 for the pair of pajamas. Um, so my, my total cost might be $15 for unit, per unit. And then I'm selling it for $30. So I'm making 50% margin. Yeah. So then, and and by the way, I don't own a, a D2C business. I'm an investor in a few and f- very close to many. So uh, I'm. this is my perspective here. Um, so a lot of like people who actually have these businesses may criticize what I'm saying uh, because I'm slightly getting things wrong. But you also then, you need to get, in some cases, you need to get, um, you need to do paid marketing on Instagram or Facebook or Pinterest if you're targeting mothers. And what what... What's the best right now? Like, so let's say there's Pinterest, Facebook, Instagram, Google, and podcasts. Uh, podcasts, if you can find the right niche, are totally underpriced at the moment. Instagram and Facebook are wonderful. You can absolutely acquire customers profitably. So, so let, let me let me tell you there. So, Facebook uh, is there tricks to optimizing my marketing there? Like, do I should I target in some particular way, or or how should I experiment to to find the best? Yeah, I mean, there's small tips like always, or like try to like show people's faces in the advertisement. Um, when you you have to understand the hierarchy, so it, it goes image, headline, above the headline. That's like the hierarchy of importance. And then lookalike audiences are typically the best, but when you start out, you don't have a lookalike audience. And a lookalike audience is you upload roughly two thousand customers, and then you tell Facebook. Target people who look just like these 2,000 customers, and they do. And so, wait, what did you mean by image, headline, above the headline? What's above the headline? That's the hierarchy of importance in terms of I, of getting your attention. So the headline, so the image is above the headline? So uh, when you're on Facebook, you see an image. Right below an image, you see what's called the headline. I believe that's what Facebook calls it. I'm using Facebook terminology, which then has leaked into everyone else's terminology. So it's Facebook headline and then descript, uh status or I don't know what they call the top part, but that's the part where you type into your Facebook page. Like everyone check this out. This is really cool. I guess you test and you optimize those. Yeah. And you want to aim for like probably anywhere from a baseline of one to 3% click through rate. Here, look, ad for t-shirt. Okay. Most important thing in the picture. Second most is 
the description of the picture. The third most important is what's written up here. Oh, I see. The whole post is an ad. I mean, the secret is like two things is you got to like follow the people who are aggressive and see what they do and then copy that. So for example, Agora, very aggressive. You look at what did they do and you say, well, well, why did they do that way? And what they did with James Altucher was they used his face everywhere. Oh my God. They took the work. Okay, go ahead. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be bitter. Is those, those pictures work really well. They were like the protocols of the elders of Zion pictures. It's like my eyes with like Bitcoin dollars in them and like flames coming out of me. It was like yeah, Satan. it works. Yeah, so it works. But they do, and the, and to their credit, they do like thousands of tests. Like that was the result of thousands of tests. Yeah, it, it works well. And then okay, sure. but what about? Is it even better? Like, let's say I go to Instagram and I call up some Instagram agency and I say, "Give me twenty Instagram models with you know, and all together added up like fifty million followers." Would that work better for me? It would work better but your minimum payment would be quite high so they would say all right it costs a hundred grand to, to play yeah so then there might be uh, an environment like i would think okay who are the influencers i know and i would like cut them in on the business yeah you absolutely could do that it's just easier to it's not necessarily better but it's easier if you start on facebook and instagram if you did it with the other influencers often they would say uh, all right, like for example, we advertise on podcasts. It's a minimum of a hundred grand to, to start, but like with Facebook, you could ju- you could just spend hundreds of dollars like that evening, or th- maybe thousands of dollars that evening. But the next, if you do with podcasts or things like that, typically it's a minimum, uh, which for some people starting out can be a little bit too high in order to uh, play. All right, so 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 now I've I've made my pajamas. I've shipped them to Shipmunk. Uh, I've got some special things going on in them to make it better than anyone else's or whatever. Uh, uh, well, actually, okay, so here's a, a mini question. Let's say I have, you know, a lot of these Alibaba manufacturers, they just, all they do is give you their pajamas or clothes or t-shirts or whatever, and they just put your logo on it. What if I structurally want to change something? That It's going to be, it's a little harder to find a manufacturer for that. Well, so that's, what, and that's what I was saying is you basically start early on with kind of a subpar product and you just get traction and then use those cash flow to start making bigger and bigger buys and more custom stuff and you start developing a relationship with your manufacturer um, and then you scale and then inevitably what happens is you have supply chain issues and you debate whether you should bring the supply chain in-house or not and uh, you have to deal with that. So like on trends.co, which I cannot recommend it enough to people, but... For instance, you had this one signal where it was airplane cocktail kits. So yeah, these are trending up. I don't know why they were trending up, uh, but you know, I guess it's like a little kit where you have like five or six cocktails that are sort of individual cocktail size. And maybe people were missing them because they weren't flying on planes. And you were saying this is something that was, you, you show the search volume. So the search volume for people searching. Like went up like crazy. Yeah. yeah like why, A, why would people be searching for airplane cocktail kits? kits for the one thing it's just cute i don't know why so like I is mean, a gift to people i don't know a gift yeah it's just a cute gift so then that tells you that okay there's a business here and now i can look at cocktail kits on alibaba and again do the same process that you were just describing or here's one you have you have the one of the most popular kickstarter products right now this was on last week's uh trends.co yeah which one was that was that the cooler uh there was oh no this one i actually i don't see the cooler here but 
there are all of them in the past few months have been related to cooking. So you had bread machines a few months ago because everyone was cooking bread at night. Yeah, man, bread went like. Crazy. So again, I looked on Alibaba and a bread machine you could buy for like twenty bucks on Alibaba, but you have to buy like a thousand units, and then you could sell them for two hundred ninety nine on Amazon. So is it really that simple that I could just buy them on Alibaba? I would say it is that simple, but it is not that easy. It's like the it's like. Losing weight is simple. You just consume less calories than you burn, but it is hard. Yeah, because you have to well, well, take seems, risks. The, you got to do the work. Yeah, and the, the advertising part, like getting getting that initial 2,000 customers is the hard part, it seems to me, because that's where you haven't done proof of concept, so no one's giving you any money. And Yeah, but didn't you do that with your newsletter? I mean, oh, yeah, if totally. I read cor- but new- if I read correctly, your first year was like $16 million in revenue, and the vast majority of it went to mar- uh, affiliate. Yeah, $16 million in revenue, and uh, altogether was about $1.6 million in profit, which is not a lot for a newsletter business. So we had a lot of affiliate deals, so affiliate deals work great too. I should have added that as a marketing category. But um, uh, but also I had a an audience already and you know a name in the industry. But if I was to, like for instance, trending here right now is something called a Kickstarter campaign hygiene hand for an antimicrobial brass door opener, which I really like because it is a topic that I'm interested in. You know, brass door openers are copper. Is it which brass are, or copper? Yeah. Oh well, it's a brass door opener. Isn't brass made out of copper? There's copper is an element of a, oh, a component of brass, and so it's a disinfectant for a door opener. So people were attracted to this, and this was trending on Kickstarter, and it makes me think that oh, okay, well, copper, copper, anything. Like now, if you look at for copper infused masks, they're selling like hotcakes. Like copper, anything right now is going through the roof because it solves a problem. It disinfects. And uh, there's another one, which is um, people are selling these things where they're like little, I have a bottle of under my hand, but they look like a hook that you put in your hand and you can use that to grab stuff or open doors. And it's made out of copper. Have you seen this? No, that's great. And see, it's made out of copper. No, like nobody will admit it, but copper probably kills coronavirus. Who knows? We don't know. There's no research, but it's, it, there's thousands of years of evidence that copper is, is heavily antiviral, just like silver is actually, but copper is cheaper. So, and copper actually has, is more sophisticated than silver for this because apparently silver has to be moist, which is why silver is great for silverware and cavities, but I don't really see it in other uses, but copper is door openers and other dry uses. But uh, so all of these things are interesting because now we're in this world where you don't go to Home Depot anymore and you don't, it kind of shows you don't even have to be loyal to HD.com. Like if people create their own brand and have something exciting behind it, then uh, there's no more loyalty except maybe, I, I would say there's some loyalty to Amazon. Uh, there's a trust factor with Amazon, but I don't think any other e-commerce brand has any sort of brand loyalty at all. Yeah. Look at what I just sent you. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Avoid germs is the first thing that's mentioned here. So this is a keychain touch tool buypeel.com. The first thing is avoid germs, then beautiful brass looking forward. So it's a, it's a bottle opener as well. And that's it. And then it's, and then you have, you have, so you have some social proof here featured in Buzzfeed gear patrol GQ. Uh, there's 31 reviews. So social proof, you have authority with, uh, with Buzzfeed. Then you have solves this problem. Avoid germs is the biggest problem people have. And, uh, looks like I could punch someone with this too. 
So it's funny, right? It's a funny little widget. I mean, that probably costs two or three bucks. Yeah, well, let's see right now. So on on this site, Bipeel, it's $35. And so I'm going to search on Alibaba. Um, what would you even call this? Uh, try brass keychain or brass touch tool. Yeah, brass t- touch tool. Um, yeah, a dollar. <laughs> and, you know, the minimum order is only 100 pieces, so it's nothing. And how much of yeah. business? So they they bought it for a dollar. Okay, uh, I'm I'm seeing the exact one here for a dollar right now. And uh, it really, yeah, uh, uh, they're they're showing me a bunch of sizes. One of them is the exact thing you just showed me. Let me go back to that site by Peel. Um, yeah, it's on Amazon too for a few bucks. For just a few bucks or for thirty five? This is thirty five dollars on by. I Peel. see one for a few dollars on Amazon. Okay, hold on. Let me look on Amazon. So how do There's they get away with one. how do they get away with doing it for thirty five? Because it's cool looking. I bought it. But like, if I go to, um, I don't know how they got away with it. It just is a sexy looking website. Hold I on, don't care Amazon. if it costs five dollars or thirty five dollars. I just did it. Yeah, you you bought it on the site. Okay, yeah. brass touch tool. Okay, here's the exact thing. Um, uh, uh, are you inter- You're getting into e-com now, e-commerce. I'm getting into. I'm just fascinated. Like literally, there's trillions of dollars of opportunity that have opened up. Because look at this thing, this brass touch tool. This did not. I mean, I'm sure it existed before, but this was not on your radar or my radar before the lockdowns. Now it's huge because people don't like touching things anymore. And, and it's, uh, copper is this quiet, under-the-radar disinfectant. And so here it is on Amazon. I guess you get like four of them for 16. Here's a five-pack for 16. So maybe is this by Peel? Is this a, is this a, a multi-pack? No, by Peel. Peel is not. Uh, Peel, my friends with those guys. They're not on, on Amazon. Right. So I'm, I'm just wondering, like, when I, when I spend $35, am I getting... Um, oh, they're sold. Well, so you got you have to understand though that peel. I, I don't know this for a fact. I'm just it's my hy- hypothesis is that this they sell the their shtick is that they sell the world's thinnest iPhone case, and so they probably have a list of two hundred, three hundred, four hundred thousand customers, and this is where you increase your basket size, which is you simply just m- email all those customers and. Tell them uh, about your new keychain tool. Yeah. So this one, I swear to God, you're right. They're only selling one and it's $35 per. And by the way, it's sold out. So I don't know if that's a marketing trick to make me anxious, but I have to back order it. And so I hit the number three and it's $105 to get three of them. And maybe it's the thinnest, but I'm seeing some pretty thin ones here on Amazon. And yeah, who knows? And it's like $2. (laughs) So it's fascinating. Yeah, man. But the difference is that their their website is pretty sexy. Like it looks cool. It's just good marketing. Right. So you wouldn't. So the idea is they already have audiences who love them because they bought the iPad uh, uh, case or the iPhone case, and so they're just sending out an email, and the guy's saying, "Yeah, it sounds good," and then boom, not even checking on Amazon. I think so. Yeah. All right. So I. The, so this is doable. Like for a while, you know, everybody, like I would say four or five years ago, everyone was talking about drop shipping. 
buying on Alibaba, st- having them ship directly. Well, I hate talk. I hate that word. Though. I hate that, that word because sounds, it became it's like, like this, get rich quick. Yeah, but yeah, it still kind of happens. Like the, you're just describing exactly what happens. Yeah, it, it's all the same stuff, um, but it's a different mentality. Like I'm not trying to have a. I mean, uh, getting rich quick is awesome, but it's not that mentality of get rich quick. It's the I'm building a business and I'm going to build value for people. Well, and the thing is, you're building value because by A, you're either solving problems that you know exist because you're having that problem. Like we talked about it on the, the prior time we were on a podcast. We talked about problems in podcast software. And if you could solve a problem that is good enough that you would use and you're a domain expert, then that's great. And that's something you could probably sell. But the other way is you're looking at signals also, like what are problems for other people? So for instance, brass doorknobs are problems for other people or or microneedling, the non-invasive anti-aging procedure. That's a problem for people. Or the airplane cocktail kits. Obviously, that's a problem for someone. And it's kind of fun to put the pieces together in a way that makes money. It is very fun. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period. And I loved it. I I became a really good guest of Airbnbs. And I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was, I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests? And having my own Airbnb or or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away. And I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. 
Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. A lot of people, when they have these discussions, they go to e-com. I personally am very or far more attracted at the moment to B2B software. Well, I was going to say, what, when you were first talking about, and sorry to interrupt because I want to hear what your interest is. Uh, when you were first talking about the, the non-alcohol beverages or even the low-alcohol beverages, and you had to set up a club membership for people to sign up for what's more interesting to me than coming up with a drink an alcoholic drink to sell is coming up with the meta software to create the club structure that you could sell to people to create their own wine clubs or you know beverage clubs or whatever like that is, i completely it, agree it's like it's like creating like the um a white label casino software and then that was the really the way to make money in the poker boom for instance compliance software so they're actually, um, when I was in college, I had a small alcohol brand and there's these companies that you have to pay. You know, I don't know if you have to, but they're compliance companies and they, cause there's so many laws and they teach you, are you doing things the right way or the wrong way? Um, and what you're describing is that, right? Yeah. It will not only compliance, but I might not know how to set up, like maybe I'm an expert on, this is a high quality, low price, low alcohol beverage. Uh, and I want to sell it and I believe in it. And here's a logo. I'm a great designer. Here's a logo. Here's why it's good. Here's the benefits, but I might not know. Okay. How does the, how does a club work? How does, uh, email marketing work? How does, uh, square and stripe work and all, all of that stuff. So, you know, setting up kind of the, the meta ver like, like for instance, I'll tell you the company that is impressing me the most right now is Substack because I love the newsletter business, but enabling for some reason, even though this has always been an attractive business model, they're the first ones I see where you can set up a four pay newsletter in just three minutes. And that strikes me as an incredible business. Yeah. So those guys are interesting. I actually talked to those guys yesterday. I'm friends friendly with the founders because their office was next door to mine. And so, um, I've asked them if I could become an advisor and they haven't gotten back to me. And so I don't think they're going to let me. But well, let's let's to... do it together. Let's tell them as a package. We'll advise them. You're great at the setting up a two million person 
you know, email newsletter and I'm great at making hundreds of millions in revenues from four pay newsletters. Well, and I'm trying to learn what you, what you know, it's, it, and well, first of all, I think we're going to launch a newsletter course. You will have to get you in on it. But second, um, I think that Substack is actually quite interesting, but they're screwing up massively. And this is what I've told them is that they're screwing up on the marketing side and they don't understand that sales pages and hard paywalls work far more effectively than just letting people click around and read your stuff without paying. Yeah, that's true. I think, um, I don't think, I read on another site, like it's almost like for each use case, you want to have your own landing page because A, it ranks higher in Google and B, it's you're, you're talking to the people who want to see those landing pages. So I'm bullish on Substack as an idea, but the founders need to get out of Silicon Valley and realize that it's not always the best product that wins and that their product is pretty good already, but they need to realize that it's really about helping the creators make more money. And to make more money, you need paywalls uh, with long-form sales pages. But here's where they're, here's where they're doing it right. Like there, there is so much social proof and authority, you know, these two pinnacles of Robert Cialdini's influence, uh, influence book, you know, they got Matt Tabibi. Every time they get like a high profile uh, person doing a newsletter on Substack, they kind of broadcast that on Twitter, Facebook, other places. So they, they're really, they know how to use authority very well. And then I say to myself, well, if I want to set up a newsletter, I'll use what Matt Tabibi's using. Oh, I agree. I think that they've got the hard work done, which is they have a product that's good and people who love it. But they're screwing up now on the other stuff. And it's like, all right, guys, focus on the other stuff now. Like, you're doing a pretty good job. Yeah, it makes sense. I, You know, it's funny. I once made my own version of Substack, and this is how what an idiot I was. This was 2010. The Wall Street Journal asked me to do a newsletter. And I said, great, I'll do it. And okay, they said, okay, what do we do next? We, we've never done a newsletter. And I'm like, you're the one of the biggest subscription companies in the world. You've never done a subscription newsletter? And they're like, not online. And so... I actually created the software for anybody to create subscription newsletters, pitched it to the Wall Street Journal, and for whatever reason, they weren't interested. And my thinking was so small, I did not think, oh, well, this could be just a general big business. I don't have to do a deal with a bigger company. I could do just let it free into the wild and let individuals do it. So sometimes it's just the right switch in thinking changes everything. Okay, so in line with that, let's say that Subsec has 2,000 creators on there. And some of the big dogs on there, let's say, are making $500,000 a year. So earlier, you said that you have sold hundreds of millions of dollars or something like that in paid newsletters. What would you tell these guys to do to improve and to get at that scale? So so the first, there, there, I, there's lots of things. But the first thing is, is you, there's no opportunities here for upsells and downsells. So when you buy let's see, I'll go to one of the writers who has a, um, you know, they, they have a good, they do a good job, by the way, sharing information about their writers. Uh, you could browse the top writers. So um, let's go with uh, someone who's not in your category. Okay, let's just let's say do... a Sinocism by Bill Bishop. This is their number two guy. That's exactly what I was going to say. Okay, thousands so of subscribers, other... $15 a month, right? So for the listeners, what this guy does is, I believe it's one guy and he writes a newsletter about Chinese business news for a American or European reader. And by the way, I'm not even, it, it's astonishing to me. Like they say he has thousands of subscribers at $15 a month. That's a lot for a non-actionable newsletter, by the way. So that means someone's paying $180 a year for to read about 
you know, Hong Kong par- you know, party turns 99, whatever. It's just random news, which, you know, India bans TikTok. So I guess it's like ex, you know, ex-Chinese people or ex-Hong Kong people who are here who want to get the latest news, and this is the latest unbiased news. I guess that's his... Or bankers who deal with Chinese. Yeah, right. So, okay, so then... But then if, you, if, if it's bankers dealing with Chinese, what they're missing out here is there should be an automatic upsell. So, oh, you just bought th- this newsletter, Sinois, I don't know how to say it, Sinocism. Here's an upsell. I don't know what you call it. You know, Sinocism Plus. And we're going to talk about, you know, actual, you know, business trends on, you know, or here's some stocks and some analysis from Chinese oriented hedge funds and so on. And that you sell for, you know, $150 a month. Would you only make that on stock stuff? Well, for, for, for the real high end, it's you have, at some point you need to veer into actionable. So, so stocks are actionable and people, people will say to themselves, oh gosh, it's 1800 a year. That's a lot. But if I just make one good trade because of this, I'll make that 1800 back in 20 times as much. So what's an example of an uh, what's another example of a non-stock version? Because a lot of people listening, or maybe this bill guy is like, I don't want to promote stocks. Well, then you get into things like um, Stratfor. So it's really high-end, almost like intelligence-level information about what's happening in the news. So, for instance, oil prices are going way up. Is it is Saudi Arabia manipulating it? Is Nigeria? Is Russia? So you know, Stratfor, you buy that for whatever, thousands of dollars a year, and it will tell you, oh, we have somebody in the Nigerian oil minister's office who told us X, Y, and Z. So that stuff's valuable to banks and hedge funds. And so it's actionable. The information you're giving is actionable uh, in different ways depending on the audience. So again, the the end user for a high-end product is taking some action. They're not just reading it for fun. Whereas this, I'm not saying someone's reading this for fun, but they're not making, they're not necessarily making, there's no correlation between the price of this newsletter and how much money they make. It's just, they make enough money that they can pay for a, 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 a highly informative newsletter about China. So, okay. So you're saying that the first thing is upsell. And, and by the way, so like, for example, for trends, it would be like, we'll send you a list of companies for sale or what, what would an example for trends be? Yeah. Or if you're saying like, um, CMOS is trending, then there might be two upsells. There might be a special report on, you know, five different ways your experts are making businesses out of CMOS, like step-by-step guides, or the upsell would be, we see you're interested in trends. We're going to send you a high-end newsletter, you know, entrepreneur in a box. And each one, we're going to tell you the step-by-step guide to, for example, how to make a fashion line, how to make a new, best practices for making a newsletter or an online course, best practices for marketing your brand new app. And so every month you'll get a newsletter, plus you'll get a community, plus you'll get email updates you know, during the month that are real detailed information how to. So in trends, I get the signal, CMOS, entrepreneur in a box. Within 12 months, I'm going to get 12 different step-by-step best practice methods for actually starting a real business around these different trends you're talking about. Okay. So an upsell, what else would you tell these bills? Okay. So, so with, with upsells or downsells. So, okay. You just bought, so you're, you're at the shopping cart for sinusism and the, you see the upsell is $1,800 or is $150 a month where you look, you'll look at 
stocks in China. And you're like, oh, I don't want that. I don't, I'm not buying stocks in China. And then there's a downsell, which is a lifetime subscription to Sinusism for, you know, $300. So it's, it's roughly, you know, a little more, a little less than double what you would pay in a year for Sinusism, but, uh, it's, it's a lifetime subscription. So you, you never have to pay again and you get, um, you know, Sinusism forever. And, uh, you only have to pay $300, which is roughly a year and three quarters for this newsletter. And the benefit to this guy is he gets this money up front and you constantly market either new newsletters or new upsells. So they, they should have a downsell as well. What else? Anything else that you would tell them? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, community in a box. So for all, like you have, you don't just do trends.co, you have a trends Facebook page and, you know, there's best practices for setting up a community. Uh, I would sell community, uh, aspects as well, like a four pay community site, like for an extra $2 a month, you can also join the Facebook group for an extra $5 a month. You can join the Facebook group. Uh, even on the lifetime membership, it's $300, but uh, for $3 a month, you could join the Facebook group. So, uh, so there's a maintenance, so community. So there's, they're, they're missing out, they're leaving money on the table and all of these guys, all their newsletter writers are leaving money on the table because these aren't best practices for a newsletter slash community that develops around the newsletter. Now, also, what if Bill developed, this guy, Bill Bishop, who writes Sinicism, what if he develops newsletters around India, Africa, you know, the EU, US, whatever. Now he should have an option to create an alliance product. So you can get, so I, I let's say I have 10, let's say Bill has 10 products, which he's selling for 1500, you know, for, for $15 a month. So that's uh, all 10 together is 1800 a year. For 3000, you could become a member of the Bishop Alliance. His name's Bill Bishop. You could become a member of the Bishop Alliance, which combines everything he ever writes uh, uh, for life. And again, that's all of his newsletters combined, um, roughly times two, a little bit less than times two. And that's an Alliance product. And, uh, you know, I would have, I would encourage him to write a free version as well so that, you know, he, he has a way to upsell from the free to the paid. Like, so there's no sense here of what best practices are for newsletters. It's just like, it's just enabling software for, to create a newsletter, which I appreciate. Then it's the nuts and bolts, and then leaves it up to everyone else to kind of create best practices. You need to um, teach this more. I would. I'd... And and again, this is still just the beginning. Like there is a lot of newsletters. A newsletter business done correctly is obviously enormous. Like you know, there are companies we know that you and I both know that make over a billion in revenues a year in that business, bigger than any newspaper company. We, the, the online newsletter business is a huge business. You know, there's other things they could do too, just in terms of marketing, in terms of affiliate deals. Like right now, they're not giving any marketing support to the people who write the newsletters because a lot of their new, top newsletter writers are famous already in their own right. But there are marketing best practices. Um, you know, what's interesting is first of all, you need to build a better Substack. Um, <laughs> second of all, I was looking up strat for, so for listeners, strat, it's strat, the word strat, S T R A T F O R dot com. And, uh, pretty interesting. Who owns strat Stratford? I do not know. It's funny. Actually, I used to pay attention to this about 
I want to say 10 years ago, but I, I, until you just told me the URL again, I have not looked at this in a long time. I'm glad they're, they're still in business even. Um, so something that I've been thinking about a lot, and I just discovered a new one yesterday, is there are these businesses out there that a lot of people don't know exist, and they're massive B2B media brands. So, for example, one of those is called Informa. Informa is publicly traded in the UK. Its market cap is probably $10 billion. Hmm. Um, there's another one called uh, Euromoney, um, and they own institutionalinvestor.com, uh, and it's a $1.5 billion B2B media company. Another one is Acurus. I think it's called Acurus or Acurus. Uh, it was recently sold for two or three billion. What they do is they start little small brands like this um, Strat Four thing. Each one probably makes ten or twenty million dollars a year in sales, and then they just buy so many of them. And they create. It's like such a common theme I'm seeing is that these B two B media companies just buy other companies. It's crazy. Yeah, because, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, because there's a reason, and there's actually there's a, a business model that boils down out of this. But let's take a company like Strat Four. If you were to buy them, let's say, I don't know what they make. Let's say they make 3 million in profits a year. Newsletter businesses typically go for five, six times last year's earnings. That's it. And so let's say they make 3 million in profits last year. They could sell for 18 million now. But if you're making 100 million in earnings, like if you buy enough of them and combine them, you'll go public on, you know, on a stock exchange for 20 times earnings. So even if you don't have any back-end synergies at all, even if you do nothing to improve the profits or of any of these businesses, you bought them all. You, let's say you buy, you know, a hundred million dollars worth of earnings for six hundred million, but then you go public immediately for two billion. So, so your the basic business model there is you just made one point four billion because your multiple over earnings goes up the bigger you get. And so, for instance, you can go to a, a website like Flippa.com where you buy e-commerce sites. You could buy e-commerce sites, like let's say a site makes $10,000 in profit per year. You could maybe buy it on Flippa.com for $20,000, so just two times earnings. But if you combine enough of them to the point where you're making 10, 20 million in earnings, you could probably flip for 10 to 20 times earnings. Even Again, even if there's no back-end synergies at all. Just simply mass gives you more money. <laughs> It's 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 in, it's incredibly fascinating, and I think a lot of people are shocked when they hear how big these things are. I mean, we're talking like literally billions. Um, Informa uh, does, I think, three billion a year in sales. There's another one called Essential. They own this thing called uh, WGSN, and it's pretty fascinating. But like to simplify, what they do is like Starbucks will subscribe to this. I think they call it a software, but it's really a newsletter, and WGSN tells them which color is going to be most popular in a few years. So Starbucks knows to have their sleeves of their cups or the ribbons on their uniforms to be the right colored pink. And that business does roughly 80 million in subscription revenue. Yeah, I believe it. And so 80 million is interesting. You're saying, is this company public? Yeah. So it's interesting because 80 million is big, but not over the top huge. So I'm curious, um, where, where is it public in the U.S. or in U.K. or U.K. Uh, okay, and, and it's called a WGSN. So WGSN is a trend forecasting company of the parent Essential. Yeah. WGSN was founded by as a B two B publisher and an exhibitions company. 
Um, I believe their sales are 90 million pounds a year. Its trend forecasting services include what's new in apparel, beauty, color, marketing, retail, and wearables. The firm has predicted that the smartphone will be obsolete by 2030. Okay, so it's interesting. So in, in um, 2016, they went public for 800 million pounds. So yeah, so they're, so they're, not, they're not getting a huge, well, let me see where they are right now. They're not getting a huge multiple of earnings well, their earnings are a little bit skewed at the moment because WGSN is owned by a parent company, and that parent company owns Cannes Advertising Festival along with a couple other conferences. Uh, yeah, and look, the, it's interesting. Their net income is only eight point one million pounds, so something something's a little messed up with it because um, it should be it probably should be worth more. Uh, yeah, it's hard hard for me to figure this out. Um, so, well, the reason it's not worth more is a lot of their profits come from. Um, Trade shows. Uh, yeah, that's obviously going horrible right now. Uh, right. But yeah, there's all part of this is what's interesting here is, and this is this is what took without any kind of mentor helping me or without understanding business really at all. Uh, I didn't really understand that part of the value of a business is not just the product and your skills at building the business, but understanding the nuances of business models of understanding how business it's the business of business you have to understand as well as the specific business so understanding things like how a business is valued is a different skill set than building a business and it took me a long time to before i was aware of that do you want to talk about one more thing that's interesting have you heard of glg uh i believe i have is that um i believe i've looked at that fairly recently actually uh, so glg is an expert network there's probably three to five leaders in the space, including Alpha Sites. Alpha Sites does roughly two or three hundred million in sales a year with a hundred million in net income. They're very profitable. GLG, um, I think, is at about half a billion in sales. Also, likely very profitable given that they are buying a lot of stuff. And it's quite simple. It's oversimplified, but what it is is if you are Morgan Stanley and you are about to take SendGrid public, you want to talk to people like me who are in the email industry and ask them what they think about SendGrid. How much do you guys spend with them? Are you going to spend a lot more money with them? Are you not going to spend more money with them? Why do you hate them? What would make you leave? How much is too much for them to charge? So they know. So Morgan Stanley knows how to price them at their um, IPO. They do this for a lot of different things. So if you're a consulting company and you're thinking about taking on this client that owns a cow farm, you're going to try and talk to people who own agriculture businesses and be, be like, hey, uh, what's going on in the industry? What should I be worried about? Yada, yada, yada. And they'll pay that expert $300 an hour and they'll charge the other person $600 an hour and they'll take that right. 300 cut. And these companies are freaking huge. They're not valuable, but they're very cash flow positive. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because they've often bordered on gray areas of insider trading. So a hedge GLG's been sued for that. Yeah, like uh, people went to jail in the hedge fund business. To, I think GLG was actually might have been the expert network. I'm, I don't know. Uh, so I, they were. Yeah. So they were. so so uh, you know this this one hedge fund, for instance, would ask GLG put together these experts. The experts might have been working at the companies they were describing, and then the hedge fund would trade off of that information. It's it's a it's a very very gray area, but it could easily bleed into insider trading, and it has yes. many times. 
but it's still it's fascinating to me nonetheless um it's incredibly fascinating to me um so i'm i've been really looking into that i'm like how does that work now some people have tried to replicate it but they've done it poorly for example clarity yeah i was clarity, about to say clarity was a more almost b to c so you could yeah, have like lifestyle coaches as the experts and people pay per hour as opposed to somebody paying for a group uh, to help you, an experts panel. Yeah, that's not the right move, unfortunately. Yeah, no, um, that, um, but there's been a lot of attempts at that ever since the beginning of the web. But uh, in Clarity.fm, I think it got sold for like 10 or 15 million, maybe less, I, I don't know. Um, but uh, the guy who started it, Dan Martell, I think he did pretty well from it. Yeah, and I'm friends with the owner, and it doesn't sound like it's like the greatest thing ever. No, and then right now there's, well, it's, this is not the same thing at all, but there's like, you, you guys have written about Cameo, which is almost, the infrastructure is almost like a Clarity.fm where there's individuals on one side. It's, yeah, and I love that. Yeah, it's like- You know what I love even more is OnlyFans. You know OnlyFans? You know, I've, I've never been there, but I've heard about it, and it's like, um, what is it? It's a, it's a porn thing, right? An adult yeah, thing. Yeah, they fucking crush it. I think he's. I think the guy bootstrapped the company. If he told me they're at a hundred million in sales, I wouldn't be surprised at all. So here's what's interesting to me is creating the software to allow other people to set up an OnlyFans or an expert network. Like I like infrastructure plays where you allow people to. If if this is a business model that works, other people will replicate this business model. So sell, like, be the Substack of this space. I'm far more interested in that as well. And the reason is, is last night I was reading the S1 of Atlassian. You know what Atlassian is? Uh, I've, I've heard of it. I don't know. I don't remember what it is. I feel so, like I've read uh, about it on a newsletter somewhere. Probably. Atlassian was founded in Australia by this guy named Scott. And Oh, these guys do Trello. That's how I know it. Yeah, so Atlassian was founded in Australia in 2000 and probably five or six completely bootstrapped and they launched Jira which is used by a lot of companies and then they launched Confluence and then they eventually launched or bought HipChat and then bought Trello and it's super interesting because I was reading their S1 they they went so they bootstrapped to over 100 million dollars in revenue in recurring revenue which is worth a, at least a billion dollars um and then they raised 50 million right before the IPO but they didn't need the 50 million and so by the time they went public, they had like $150 million in cash. And it was mostly from bootstrapping. And I was looking at their numbers. And now they're worth like, I mean, they might be worth $100 billion or sixty something like that. And I was looking at their financials. And they didn't hire one salesperson. All of their sales came through content marketing. And what they just were expert at were creating, getting into creating like a, a project management software for startups or something like that and getting one person to sign up. And then their net churn was just amazing. And so a person would get in the door and just expand into the rest of the company. And it just created this amazing flywheel. And um, I was looking at that. I'm like, oh, this is so much better than having to go and hunt down new customers every month. Well, this is also how a lot of newsletter companies work. So for instance, if you take a company like Substack, you could potentially, you can't be too aggressive about this, but you could potentially um, uh, change their experience of interacting with a newsletter in such a way that they are led to other, you know, complementary newsletters, thus increasing sales. Like what you were saying, I appreciate how Substack is so simple. It's great. If I was if I was going to start a newsletter right now, I a hundred percent would use Substack. But 
there's there's certainly a gap between where they could be and where they are right now. Although I appreciate their simplicity, I think that's that's a valuable trait. I think it's a great way, a great place to start. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. So uh, what are you doing right now? What what obviously you're doing trends and hustle, and this is going into a big business. But what's what? What, what, what excites you the most? What other businesses excite you the most? I'm trying to think of the, the, the challenge that I'm having is trends is working great. It's growing a lot. It's, it's already, let's say, uh, close to an eight-figure business. Um, I have to eight-figure subscription business. And I, don't, I have no idea what that's worth, and I don't really care. But what I care about is figuring out how to launch higher-end products to that audience. And so that's what I'm focused at. On, and so I'm incredibly fascinated by two things. One is YPO, um, and one is Vistage. They're both executive peer groups. YPO is not for profit, so you could see all of their financials. They're about 150 million dollars a year in sales. Vistage has 25,000 members who each pay roughly 18,000 dollars a year. They're bought by PE for 650 million. And then there's one more called Eventa, E V A N T A. They were acquired by Gartner for 250. And so I'm quite fascinated by these peer groups and these peer businesses. And the reason why I'm quite fascinated by them is because I think that with everyone going remote, finding peers and a network of friends and professionals who you can rely on, it's quite needed. And I'm really fascinated in how can my company create these peer groups. Well, let me ask you a question. So right now, you're the Facebook Trends group. That is a valuable group of people. They're always uh, bringing up interesting questions and answers and solutions. And a lot of the times, things I find out about entrepreneurship, I get not from the newsletter, but from the people in the trends group. Why don't you consider that uh, going in the direction of an Eventa or a YPO? We are. Okay. So, and so how does Eventa have, make money? You know, they're stupid. They made money from sponsorships. And so Eventa, um, they have if you go to evanta.com they have um uh does it say how many members they have i don't know if it says how many members they no, have no cuz they divide it up in various communities you know cio cdo cmo cfo um, i think they only have like so uh, uh 18,000 members it says oh yeah right and here. for the cio so chief information officer Chief Information Security Officer, I think it is, Chief Marketing Officer, Chief Financial Officer, and they host these events and they get sponsors for them. And that made $50 million in revenue, $25 million in income. Yeah, so potentially, I mean, I don't know, do you do this? Do you do sponsorships on the Trends Facebook group? Nope. So the other thing is, I guess you could have expert panels like these other guys, you know, built on top of the, the Trends group. That's kind of like your filter. I'm struggling to for I'm struggling in my head to shape the right offering. So I find I find those things to be difficult. Like I almost but that's just me. I kind of cringe against the face of because I always have my fingers in a lot of different things. Anything that requires too much work, I don't like. Me too. Um but it strikes me that you can create because of the expertise on board you already have there. Like for instance, you had an article about newsletters you could do a higher-end research report, best practices for creating an online newsletter business. You have stuff about making a fashion line. Okay, high-end report, best practices for making a, a, a fashion line. And then you have maintenance because things change. 
And so once a month, you send an update, a newsletter update on how things have changed in this industry. And then you could have a virtual conference, for instance, or, or, or like an event I might have, but you do it virtual where people pay and they ask questions in advance and all those questions are answered. So you kind of combine the expert network with the professionals network. Yeah. And so we're certainly trying to figure it out. Um, to have those deep reports, there's a company that's similar to that called Ibis World. Have you heard of that? Mm-mm. I-B-I-S space world. Um, they're in Australia, so I looked at their financials. It's not that good of a business. It's it's not small, like a hundred million in sales, but like not crazy profitable. And they sell one-off reporting. Oh, that's interesting. Like hotels and motels in the U.S. is a, a latest report, May twenty twenty. This is going to be an interesting report. So let me just see. Uh, I'm going to buy this report. I'm curious. Do they make you go to a sales channel, or do they let you buy it? I don't know. It's like one of those things where it's it's difficult. I can't just sort of click buy. Oh, purchase to read full report. Yeah, uh, without membership, um, it's nine hundred twenty-five dollars. All right. So I don't know if that's interesting, but maybe it might be. That is interesting, and you know, you know what's also interesting is, you know, for instance, a lot of people are in, and you've you've written about this on trends. A lot of people are into the crepe business. So, for instance, you know, like the like the airline cocktail kits. Every month, you get another crate with another bunch of uh, nicely designed cocktails in in the crate and i'm always fascinated by that business because it seems like a very hard business to make profitable like a friend of mine does this in the um intelligence slash navy seal space so a lot of people who are fans of kind of the navy seal culture subscribe to my friend's crate business and every month they get a new crate of you know a spy camera or this or that and i guess he buys all the products cheaper somehow and then takes into all the costs. And it seems to me that's a very difficult business to run, but you could imagine you could spin off things like, you know, create business in a box where you handle all the logistics and someone just, you know, sources the products and, and markets to the customers, but you handle everything in between. And it strikes me that all of these infrastructure B2C businesses uh, could be interesting. I think you just gave me a good idea. Always, always happy to share. <laughs> Why? Why do you think that these comp? So these companies, there's these companies like Ibis World or the one that you said, the Stratfor. And do you think that these are better companies than, say, the James Altucher newsletter? Because when I see these brands, I'm like, man, I bet James's thing was way more profitable than the these guys, even though maybe their top line is more value, more uh, is higher. Yeah, it's hard to say because. Um... I don't know. I'd have to study their financials, but I think again, when you are able to, my guess is when they say hotel and motels in the U.S. industry trends, 2015 to 2020, and it's cost me a thousand dollars, they're selling to, like you said before, a banker or an analyst. So they're not getting that many subscribers, but they're but they're selling at a huge price point. The reason I'm saying that is because it's not actionable what they're saying. They're just showing you trends. Whereas I'm actionable, so or or any investment. So here's what's actionable: investment newsletters, weight loss newsletters, uh, and arguably, you know, dating related newsletters. Not so much those anymore. But if you if you're actionable, you could charge a higher amount, and you can hit a a, a much bigger universe because you're not you're catering to everybody and not just some bank analyst. 
And but how would you make Ibis World actionable? Uh, if I let's say this hotels and motels in the U.S. industry trends point me to either hotels or or kind of under the radar exchanges where I can buy a motel that's for sale right now, and and give me resources where I can actually buy a bunch of hotels or even a single hotel and then best practices for what to do with it afterwards to build it. So if I'm just seeing like, oh, you know, everything's down 15% from last month, but it's up to 12% in Nevada, that's interesting. And maybe I can take that data for my own purposes and use it somehow, but I need my hand. Ultimately, the more you hold someone's hand, the bigger the audience and the more you could charge. So if they were to hold my hand and say, here's how you buy a hotel and here's the exact hotels for sale this week that we think are interesting and we'll introduce you. And here's the accountants you call to do the due diligence. And, and here's how you get in touch with the owners. Then they can hold my hand all the way through the, the end of the sale. And, uh, I'll pay a lot of money for that. So, you know, with the idea that during the year I might want to buy a hotel, not me personally, but if they can give me something actionable, then, then the audience gets bigger. God, I'm just trying to, if they're just giving me data, that's interesting, but there's a, a cap to how much, to how big your audience is and to how much someone's willing to pay for this. It's just so interesting because when you hold my hand, I can do the calculation. Oh, if I buy a hotel for X and in two years I sell it for three X because I do X, Y, and Z using their advice. Well, the price of a thousand dollars is a minor blip in that. And then I, I can do the math to show that this, that their newsletter is free. If you could do the math that shows that the newsletter is free, you could charge whatever you want as long as the math works out. Yeah. Like, like with trends, you could justify a higher price because if I am smart enough or if anybody is smart enough to take one trend and make a business out of it, then you could charge a lot of money. Going one step further, if you were to upsell from trends with like real like, you know, what's a signal? Um, uh, you know, a quarantine coffee trend that's here to stay. So if you tell me specifically, not just the signal, but how step-by-step -step I could do this and make money out of it, that's an upsell a lot of people would pay for. What you want, though, is businesses to buy it. Not necessarily. You want, you want consumers to buy it because there's more consumers than there are businesses. If you're then giving me the software... Yes, but businesses don't fret at $5,000. Right, but consumers won't either. If I, if let's say you tell me how to make a food truck, like oh, food truck is a trending signal, and you tell me how to make a food truck or how, to, like we talked in our first podcast about cloud kitchens, and and you basically said the definition of a restaurant has changed now because of the lockdown and because of these things called cloud kitchens. If you say how to make a restaurant using cloud kitchens, uh, and you're charging five thousand dollars for that. Plus, let's say $30 a month maintenance because you're giving me, you know, extra insights and ideas and so on. And I'm access to a, a Facebook group and, and so on. That might be worth it because if I start a bunch of restaurants using this idea, uh, I'm going to make a million. And so 5,000 is a, the math works out. 5,000 is a blip on that. Yeah. It's all the math here. It's great for me. The math works out because what do you charge for trends right now? I forget. $2.99 a year. $2.99 a year. The math works out because if I, I'm going to, let's say I'm going to buy two newsletters in this space, I consider this the best. 
So $2.99 is, is worth it to me. And then I, I repackage what I learned from you in various ways that, that help me. Even if I'm not starting any of these businesses, the, the math works out for me really great. If you then give me, if you then hold my hand on, um, you know, exactly how I would make a clothing line, then it's enormous. Then you could charge like, uh, you know, multiples of this. I, I, I'm a little speechless. I need to get to work. I need to do all this stuff. Yeah, and that's just, you know, but then, and then even further, if, if it's fashion, or, you know, crate box business, you know, here's your meta, if you make a meta crate box business and all I have to do is I tell you what it is, I pick, you know, I have, I pick some kind of WordPress style template. Here's my crate in a box business for chess players. And every month I'm going to send you the latest interesting chess things. And it's the chess crate subscription thing and you and all i have to do is tell you here's here's the theme here's the title here's the here's each month here's the products uh here's the look of the i pick from your site here's the look of the box i want and here's the list of addresses i want you to send it to and you take care of all and then actually people could even subscribe they could all payment transactions happen on your site that's a valuable service that a lot of people would pay for crate box on a shelf whatever you call it you know, if you, if you kind of build all the infrastructure so that the creative, the someone making the business, all they have to do is get the customers and source the products and you take care of everything else, boom, that's a big business. I'm like grinning right now. I need it. That's why Substack's a great business, right? And then, and then if you add to that, like, so, like I agree with you. I didn't think about it until you said it earlier, but Substack could do a lot more things. But... Just the simplicity of Substack, like you mean to tell me, you know, take a company, a, a regular subscription newsletter subscription company might take six months to launch a product, but you're telling me on Substack I could launch my four pay newsletter in three minutes. It's only good if you're a small time player, though. You don't ever want to let someone own your shit like they do. Um, they uh, okay. So I don't know this. Do they own your newsletter? No, they don't own it. I, I mean more figuratively. Oh, they own the process. Yeah, like like. But here's the th big thing. They own my email list, right? I think you can export it. Oh, well, that's that's good. You, a lot of places you can't So export. I guess technically they don't own it. I just don't want to build my infrastructure on another company like that. I agree. But if I was, let's say, let's say just starting in investment newsletters or any kind of newsletters, really, and look at these numbers they're putting up for, for these writers, it's it's... You know, individuals writing newsletters for a big newsletter company don't make a lot of money. Like as an individual, I'd probably make almost as much money just using Substack as I would working with a big newsletter company. If they taught you how to price it correctly and things like that. Yeah. So they need a they need kind of a best practices section. You know, and 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 that's even that is just the minimum, right? Then then we they could start adding like they could have an expert, you know, site. You know, oh, we're gonna go if you want to go full out. Then you got to pay this for Substack, and we'll give you upsells, downsells. Um, you, we're going to give you marketing reminders, like, oh, this person's subscription's up in two months. We recommend you send this type of email to get to get them in. Um, here's a discount you can offer for you know people who are outside the U.S. Or you know, there's lots of different kinds of testing and you know e email templates that they can offer people for who 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 has the second biggest newsletter company in your and that you know of. Um, I don't know. Motley Fool? Motley Fool, maybe Newsmax. Um, I don't really know, actually. 
I mean, Agora owns like hundreds of companies, so I don't even know who Agora owns. For all I know, they own those two. I have no idea. Or they own pieces of those two. So I don't think they do in that in those cases, but they're, they're so big that it's hard to say. It's hard to say how, how, how big their reach is. They own everything from real estate to commodities to newsletters, and they're all interlinked somehow. I wonder why none of these companies have ever really gone public. I think a couple of have been considering it, but in general, subscription businesses are hard. Wall Street doesn't value subscription businesses very well because I don't know if you've ever done an audit for trends. I mean, it's relatively new, but if someone buys upfront a $300 annual subscription, then gap revenues, which is the way Wall Street counts revenues, is yeah. by month you can recognize that $300 and the rest of the time, the $300 counts as debt. So you have like a, you show a loss almost all the time. Well, it's, it's, def yeah, yeah, yeah. It's deferred revenue. So, but, but everyone, I mean, it's not wise to not charge up front. Right. Exactly. So your best business model makes you, if you're growing, if you're a subscription model and you're growing, meaning you have a great business, you're always going to show a loss on Wall Street. It's Which is great also. So you just pay less taxes. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. So, so gap accounting, but like that's the reason why a lot of um, domain name providers don't go public. They make a ton of cash, but they don't go public because almost all their cash is deferred revenue. Right. So it's like, well, why bother? Yeah, they'll they'll lose money. They they're they they have greater value just owning keeping it private. So that that's a mistake on Wall Street's part because subscription businesses are often more uh, recession friendly than advertising based businesses. But Wall Street loves advertising. Only if it's non-publisher driven. Uh, what do you mean? Um, Facebook, Reddit, Quora. These are not publishers, but they are advertising. Yeah, but are they like CB? They like TV stations. You know, they like they used to like newspaper companies. Now they don't. But they they used to like TV stations. Although you know, all those models are broken right now. Sinclair Media was crushing for a little while, and they are a TV subscription. Ah, uh, yeah. And then, oh, but even like CBS was crushing for a long time. Look, Sirius XM is crushing right now. You see Sirius XM is buying, um, probably going to buy Stitcher. iHeartMedia and Stitcher. Um, really? They're going to buy iHeartMedia yeah, also? I, I think they already did, didn't they? Oh, I don't, I don't know. Maybe you're right. I guess I work with Stitcher, so I, I, was, I particularly noticed that. Well, okay. So Liberty, Liberty Media owns Sirius XM and Liberty Media, I believe, bought a large stake of iHeartMedia. It's all incestuous. It's hard to understand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do, but Sirius, uh, wait, but Sirius was trying to sell, sell Stitcher, right? Sirius? No, um, Scripps owned, owned Stitcher right now. Yeah, and Stitcher was a phenomenal company. Yeah, and uh, Scripps also bought, well, they bought Stitcher and Midroll and combined them. Yeah, Stitcher's a killer company, and I thought that's uh, they sold for three hundred million dollars. I thought that was a fucking steal. I think it was like making eighty million dollars a year and or ninety or something like that in revenue. Yeah, because they just host podcasts. It's just a great model. There's no, it's just very generic, and they're and they're the winner. Um, there's very very few. There's Stitcher. There's Apple Podcasts. There's just very few of those at the upper end of where people get podcasts. This is crazy. So you know, you know what's a good model is what like another way to think about newsletters is what you're doing with trends, the Facebook group. So in, instead of just selling a newsletter, you could just sell access to the Facebook group. Yeah, that's what I told you, dude. YPO. Yeah. Oh, so YPO is like a Facebook group? No, it's in person. 
Right, but like, like for instance, there's a Facebook group, Podcasters Paradise, which uh, this guy, John Lee Dumas. Uh, yeah, I know. It's, that's not huge, but I know what you're talking about. Right, it's not huge, but he did it himself, and he charges like, I don't know, 1000 or $2,000 for every member, and it's valuable. And, uh, you know, he makes a lot of money from it per year. I Yeah, no, I, I, I'm familiar with it. I love this Stitcher deal. I think that Sirius made the right move. I think so too. And just like, you know, Spotify, I'm not as sure with them buying specific podcast networks. We'll have to see, you know, they bought Gimlet and I think they bought the ringer. Um, you know, a lot of times those things, those are the types of acquisitions that fall apart later where, where the people might be more important than the technology, but we'll see. Spotify obviously is making their claim in the space with Joe Rogan and, and all these acquisitions and so on. So, I mean, the podcasting business is still, I don't want to say it's inning one, it's been around for 11 years or so, but it's probably like inning two or inning three. It's still a, still a young business. And you're seeing a lot of, you know, people think it's, oh, it's too late to start a podcast. There's 2 million out there, but it's it's pretty... No, when people say that, it's like it's like saying that it's like you can't start a car company in 1950. Right. Like it's it's certainly, or or 19, or 2001, like Elon Musk did. So it's it's certainly I've seen a lot of podcasts start in the past year or so that have shot up this year, uh, particularly during the lockdown. And uh, by the way, on your recent newsletter uh, is you have a really good article on how to build a strong brand community. I'm going to take this the advice. Community, yeah. Harley Davidson was one of the best ones. Yeah, I like this. Uh, so again, content, which is an e-newsletter, connection to bring people together physically, events, which is what you're describing with, with Aventa, um, visibility. Uh, where they solicit stories, that's really valuable. Uh, perks, it's always ways to figure that out. Leadership training, um, which which I think you can add to your group to trends. Swag, probably add to your group. Gamification, that would be an interesting thing to gamification. Obviously, is always powerful. So I would say the only other thing is authority. Like the first people in your group should be power users. Uh, yeah, we're creating that. We're creating people to help us moderate the groups. Yeah, and that adds a gamification-like feature. So if, if 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 moderators are determined by how much engagement they either um, encourage or engage in, then there's a gamification aspect. Yeah, we uh, we're definitely that's what we're working on now. Um, what I'm going to have to do is in the next few days or few weeks, I need to hire you, and I need to get me and my team to sit in a room with you for an hour and just ask these questions on what we should do. You, you, you know your shit, man. You don't you don't have to hire me. I'm happy to do it. I I'm I'm going to um, I'm going to advertise on Hustle Co once my well, you know, I'm making a um, you know, I'm making software for pot. we're using Squadcast right now, but I'm making software that is is better than Squadcast, so I'm going to want to get the word out. I can't believe how fast you made that. Yeah, I've been working on it for a couple of months, maybe, but we'll see. It's almost done. Well, it just depends on how many revisions before it's it's a version oneable. You used Riverside for when I was on your podcast, but I noticed you didn't use the video part of it. No, it didn't work out. What? Why is that? Because something happened. I think, I think um, either the audio was poor, or they didn't let you record your... I, I forget why. They didn't let you download the audio. There was some some logistical issue where it was like a silly feature that they didn't have that they should have. Do you remember what it is? Because I'll put it in mine. Well, I can ask my guy. I forget. I think... I don't remember exactly. Like, they wouldn't let you... What wouldn't they let you do? They wouldn't let you do something, and I don't remember what it was. I also think that the 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 connection wasn't as good. Like the sound, 
or I'll 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 customer develop for you uh, and find out what my guy said. Yeah, because but it, basically um, something relatively small like didn't work. Yeah, because the the video uh, part, if you're doing progressive uploading of the video on both sides, it depends on your upload speeds, and that can affect the quality of your audio and everything. Uh, you know that that could have been it. It was like some like technical thing that I don't I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was like oh man, if they like if this worked, this would be a lot better. Like it's just a relatively small thing, and so that's why we switched to Zoom. Were you were you using like a beta? Because I think they only officially released yeah. a few days ago. I was using a beta. Yeah, so I wonder if it's better right now. They, I would say if they achieve all the things their website says they should be able to do, they're probably the best right now. And we'll we'll see if that's the case by the time this episode comes out. If if I'm well, not the best, and I almost got a little pissed off because the CEO emailed me and was like, "Hey, on your last podcast, you screwed this thing up. This is how you can make it better." And I was like, "How the fuck do you know that?" Oh yeah, that's weird. Well, there's not that many users, I guess. I know, but he watched the video, and I was like, "How do you know?" So he like tuned in on the video. Yeah, do you know what I mean? And I was like, "Dude, don't tell. You should have fucking held your cards a little closer and not had told me that you could have gave me that stuff after I released the episode because now I know that you're like listening to the stuff before we release it." Is there any ideal qualities you want on podcasting software that you don't currently have other than video? Yeah, it needs to also. Re- so what I pull, I pull up QuickTime and I and I record QuickTime. In tandem with Zoom, okay, because um, like in case Zoom cuts out, so like a local recording, it needs to do that. Oh, like Squadcast and Riverside supposedly do that, and Zencaster. Zoom, we do it on Zoom, and it doesn't. Right, Zoom doesn't. Zoom does not do a local recording. Yeah, so I needed to do that. The second thing was, um, I wish I could just click a button and it automatically uploads to wherever I want it to go to. Whereas Zoom doesn't do that. I gotta like go in and download it. Yeah, Riverside, I think. Well, Riverside does it live, but I don't know if they do it after the podcast. So that's interesting. Like, you know, YouTube. The other thing is I'd like it to do clips. So if I like I it, would love that. Yeah. So clips is a huge is a huge thing. And um yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. and the good thing is this is a very interesting industry, the video conferencing industry, because there's Zoom and then you have a hundred competitors in the e-learning space and the telemedicine space. Even in events, but there's not there's really not that many competitors in the podcast space because it's kind of a small space compared to Zoom, which has six hundred million users. So Zoom doesn't really care about this space. And the competitors, the best podcasters weren't doing remote before. They were doing in person, but now it's all remote. So it's kind of a relatively new space. So I've been fascinated by these industries, like we talked about last time, coronavirus compliance. These industries are zero, and they're going to be billions. Uh, soon. Another one is I'm shocked at how bad the webcams are still. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's enhancements you can get, but but yeah, the basic webcam, I don't know. It's not good. Yeah, I guess because up- upload speeds haven't caught up yet. Like, what's your upload speed right now on your computer? Um, it's I bought all the fancy shit. How do you check that? Speedtest.net. Like, I had to go and buy all the Ethernet stuff. See, like Jay, who's listening to this, the audio engineer, he's like 400 megabits or a second. I'm like at 40. Okay, so my, um, I'll tell you. 
It's all about your upload, right? A lot of people don't know that. By the way, there's a company called J2 Media, and they own a lot of media companies, and they own speedtest.net. This website, speedtest.net, has like no employees and makes like $50 million a year. My upload speed's only nine. Oh, yeah. That's really low. That is lower than, I mean, probably 20. Jay, correct me if I'm wrong. Probably 20 is your minimum. Yeah, 20, 20 to 25, yeah. That's the minimum. Yeah, because you have to divide by eight into megabyte. So right now you are nine megabits. So divide by eight, you only have like one megabyte upload. And Jay, what are you? Uh, I, I the last I checked was six hundred. He's six hundred uh, upload speed. Who do you You're use? Nine. <laughs> uh, Verizon FiOS. That's a New York thing. We have here. We have like Xfinity. I don't fucking know, dude. It just doesn't work. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm. What am I, Jay? I'm Spectrum. Yeah. And I'm like forty. And even that's not great. This fucking internet sucks, dude. I hate it. It's all a bullshit scam. To be, it's gonna get like, better though. Yeah, and US is wasn't even top five in the U uh, in the in the internet speed. To be honest, what is that? Oh yeah, US South Korea is like number one. Yeah, South Korea is number one. Well, it's easier when your shit's all when when you have a smaller country. For example, I was in Arizona, and there was I took a picture of an ad. In, a, in, the, in rural areas, I don't know if you guys hang out in rural areas. I mean, I'm talking real rural areas, towns with 200 people. They have their own internet companies. Little mom and, like there's mom and pop internet companies because Comcast doesn't go out there. And they literally have like a satellite that they like attached to the ground. And so there's, I, there's actually a huge business to be made by, which people have already done, uh, by consolidating these small mom and pop uh uh, internet service providers in Montana and Texas and things like that. Oh, I didn't, I, that is a good business idea to consolidate them. Uh, that would be a good like private equity play. Yeah, it's like, boring, but it works. Yeah, you need like a couple hundred million. You combine them all together, and suddenly you're a big player. Exactly. Um, let me. Speaking of which, but final question. I know you've spent a lot of time here. I appreciate it. What do you think of the content business? So we talked about podcasts, but just in general, like there's all these different plays ranging from. Obviously, TikTok, Quibi, you know, if you were a content creator, other than newsletters and writing, um, you know, the writing business itself is not such a great business unless you're doing subscription newsletters. If you were content creating, where would you go? Something for professionals. Um, Like I would create like a media company for oil workers. So I would only do B2B. I would not do B2C. If I was interested in consumers, I'd definitely would go the route of not doing a venture funded thing and I would try to be make it big on YouTube and then use my clout to invest or buying companies and promote them via my audience which is what I'm trying to do um, content's hard man if you're an ad supported content company um, it is not the it's not to be at the move right now is ad supported just sucks that's the summary at the moment even even podcasts you know I've been kind of um debating switching almost fully to like an affiliate deal model. So I kind of take the risk on the ad, but you know, let's say for instance, I would advertise trends.co, which is a service I believe in, and I do an affiliate deal with you. So, you know, we do some, I take, I take the risk, you pay no money up front and, and we do something like 50, 50. So, you know, I, I do that sometimes and it works out, it works out much better than the traditional ad. But there's there's only there's very few things I believe in in that way. So you have to really believe in it. Yeah, we did that with Barstool Sports. We bought ads with them, and it was wonderful. Um, but 
in general, advertising is not a good business at the moment. Yeah. Um, well, Sam, once again, everybody should check out the Hustle newsletter and trends.co, which is both newsletter and community, and it's really valuable. And then, of course, they can listen to your uh, the podcast you do with Sean, uh, uh, My First Million, and uh, you're, you're a, again, a fan favorite. Will you come on again next month? We've been doing every like four to six weeks. Yeah, I'll do it every time. I love this. This is fun for me. We just jam. and, and, and li- I, I, didn't, I don't feel like this is work. I, sometimes I hold back a little bit. I don't want to say certain things because I don't want to give away too many numbers, but uh, I, I love doing this. Man, I just told you my whole business model that I'm working on. This and my my copper-infused pajamas are like my my big things. Actually, I have a couple other things too, which is um, which are fun. I'll I'll describe them next time. Uh, All right, man. Well, we got to talk about it next time. I'm gonna I, I'm literally gonna call my guys right now and be like, I just talked to James. Listen to this. Yeah, go for it. are true overwhelming power sauce of destiny yes the most legendary sauce has arrived as mcdonald's transforms into the anime world of wickdonald's the greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili wickdonald's sauce to make your 10-piece wicknuggets fries and sprite ultra powerful unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at wickdonald's ba-da-ba-ba-ba go and participate in mcdonald's for a limited time while supplies last